My message today is entitled, Your Redemption Draws Near. In light of what's going on in the world today, and everyone wondering where we are on God's ordained timetable, I want to bring you a teaching from the Bible that was and still is and always has been central to everything Jesus Christ set out to accomplish in us. It's not an isolated event that people talk about. It's from the very beginning. It's God's storyline. In doing so, today I'm going to teach on some biblical prophecy as it relates to some things that are going on in the world around us. I'm going to be the first to tell you I'm not an expert on biblical prophecy. I've done a lot of research and I've done a studied a lot. I've studied different theologians, different authors and pastors and prophets, and I've found some good teaching on the topic, but I've also found a lot of others that I don't agree with biblically. And so because we all, as believers in Jesus Christ, have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we all must use our own spirit-led discernment about what the Bible is saying to us in times like this, the times that we live in and the times of our future. It's something that we should not be ignorant of, for God has laid it out all for us, but it takes the Holy Spirit teaching us what we should know. So let me be clear that this message, I want to be clear about something, this message, the bulk of this message is from a, a, a pastor named John Bradshaw. He has a series called Answers in Prophecy. And it, it's, it's taken uh, from, from a lot of things that he has shared. I want to give him credit for that. Humans have looked for political solutions for hundreds of years. But we have not been successful finding them. Amen? Thankfully, God has a solution. Revelation 21, verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. Can I hear an amen to that? For the former things have passed away. What God is saying is that one day the pain of this world will be replaced by the glory of a new world where everything is perfect. What do people do who don't have hope? Who don't have anything to look forward to? After all, the whole Bible is laid out with the hope at the end. But what do people do that don't have hope? Well, of course, there's people who just go right on and try to make the best of what they have. But we also know that there are masses of people who are wrestling with the futility of life. They're trying to cope. And the things that they do to cope with what's going on in life end up being destructive. From drugs to illegal activities crime, inappropriate behaviors, riots, looting, violent debates, and growing intolerance of different viewpoints show that we are not doing better. Can you understand that? Is there something that can get us through? Yes, there is. That's why God talks about the return of Jesus again and again and again throughout the Bible. Jeremiah 29.11 says this. God says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
This reveals how God deeply cares about his people. Understand that because a lot of people think that God doesn't really care about us. But God from the very beginning shows that he deeply cares about his people. But the important thing to know is when did God say this? When did he make this promise? He addressed these words toward the nation of Judah. That's after Israel and Judah had split. He had, he had addressed this towards the nation of Judah shortly before they're about to go into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And knowing the hardship that was coming to them, God said, I want to give you a future and a hope. What's interesting is that they did not know what was coming. They didn't know the hardship, the bondage. The, they didn't all that stuff that was coming. But God reassured them saying, I'm with you. I'm for you. I've got your back. It's going to be tough, but please know that the God of heaven is in your corner. There's a lot of people who aren't certain whose side God is on. There is a lot of pain and a lot of loss in this world. There's terrible violence and great injustice and racial conflict. And ordinarily, many times, God gets the blame. There'll be an accident and Someone says, oh God, why did you cause this to happen? Why did you do this? There's a terrible diagnosis. Why did God let this happen? There's a devastating natural disaster and many innocent people die. And people say things like, where was your loving God? Why didn't He save those innocent people? Of course there's an answer to that. Ever since sin entered the world, people have been fundamentally seeking their own self-interests. The world irretrievably has been altered from its original perfect state in the way that God created it. So now there are earthquakes. That's not, why, that's not how the world was created, but now there are earthquakes. Now there are drunk drivers. Now there are tornadoes and fires. Now we have emergency rooms and cancer wards and dialysis clinics. But it surely isn't God's fault that Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and brought sin into the world. In fact, God warned them about doing just that. You know, just like Jesus said in a parable, when bad people had planted noxious weeds in a man's garden, Jesus said this in Matthew 13:28. He said, an enemy has done this. The enemy of our souls has planted sin into the world. The enemy of our souls is destroying the world. and It's destroying the original perfect state that God intended it to be. That's why there's sin in the world. It's not a man or a woman's fault. It's, we're, not, we're not meant to blame one another. The reason why there's sin in the world is an enemy has done this. But what we have the opportunity to do is to turn to God for the solution. And in God, we find the very real hope that all of this that doesn't make sense will someday be all gone. It just doesn't make sense to, that we live in a world where there's terrorism. None of that makes sense. Why someone would kill me because, of, because I believe in Jesus, that doesn't make sense. Murder doesn't make sense. Babies born with diseases and deformities does not make sense. Millions of people around the world dying in a pandemic. That doesn't make sense. But that's what, that's what turning from God has done. 
We chose to go our own way as a human family. We thought we could make it on our own. Doing our own thing has gotten humanity the way we are today. You know, a year or so after a terrible mass killing a few years ago, that a mass killing that took 50 lives, there was a secular journalist, and her name was Donna Miles Moab, secular journalist, and she had this to say. Listen to this quote. In secular societies, culture, culture is supposed to be the new scripture. But given the state of our mental health, it's evidently failing to deliver the sense of spirituality that most of us need to bring resilience and solace and meaning to our lives. Maybe it really is time to rethink our attitudes towards faith and its role in modern society. There's people out there that are figuring, you know what, we're going our own, we're pursuing ourselves, and something's not working. Of course it's not working. We're looking for ways to cope. People are looking ahead and wondering and worrying. And every time an election or a vote or something passed by Congress doesn't go your way, you might conclude that the future is hopeless. What if the economy tanks? What if your retirement savings bottom out? What if the value of your home plummets? What if you lose your job? What if a loved one's tests come back and they're bad? I want to tell you, don't think for a minute that God doesn't care. He does care. That's why in the Bible he says things like this again and again. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. He says that the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. There's no time limit. There's no expiration date on that. It's an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. In the New Testament, Jesus said this in Matthew 11:28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. These are serious statements made by a God who's not distant, and he does care. When God created Adam and Eve, they spent their, all their time together, together, God and Adam and Eve, they spent their time together face to face. And when Adam and Eve sinned, God pursued them not to punish them or throw the book at them, but to win them back and to connect with them again why he sent Jesus so that we could be connected once again. When Israel was wandering in the wilderness all those years, God had Moses build a tabernacle as a dwelling place for God. He said in Exodus 25 verse 8, let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. God wanted to live in the midst of his people. He even knew their hearts. He knew that they had sinned, but God says, I want to make my home in the midst of them. The sanctuary was situated right in the middle of the camp of Israel. God dwelled among them. Jesus came to the earth, and the prophet Isaiah said, it was quoted later in, Isaiah, it's quoted later in Matthew, Matthew 1.23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was on the earth, God with us. God indeed does care. And now 2,000 years later, we look forward to the time when God will be with us again. 
Because Jesus is coming back to this world. God does indeed care. The Bible makes that plain. The circumstances of your life make that clear. He sees trouble in this world. He sees whatever hardships you are in right now. And he says in John 14, 3, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is coming back for us. It's so important to God that he talks about this all the way through the Bible. From Daniel to Ezekiel to Zechariah. And he foretells of his turn, again, wanting to give us hope. And so many times, because we don't either read the Scriptures or we don't trust God, we, stand, we, stand, we stand, find ourselves in worry and fear and doubt. And all along, God's saying, I'm going to give you hope. Just hold on to it. Revelation 19.11 Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Jesus is depicted as conquering those who have rebelled against him. Many times people talk about the Antichrist and who is the Antichrist and is it this person or is it that president or is this leader. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. It's anything that works against God. Jesus is depicted as conquering those people who have worked against him, as whose we've rebelled against him. It references the great spiritual battle in earth's last days. And it presents Jesus as putting down a global insurrection. So some of the language in Revelation is pretty strong. Some of the imagery is very intense because we're talking about a global, a global rebellion against God. Revelation 19.12 His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Verse 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The reason for the uncompromising language and the imagery is the context of what's taking place before Jesus returns. The Bible's pretty clear. Our planet is going to go through some stern trials before Jesus returns. Let's consider human nature for a, for a minute and how it evolves. What does human nature do? Well, just look at how things have gone on over the years. We all know we only have one planet, right? That's our home. Earth is our home. You would think that we would take pretty good care of it. But we have dead zones in the oceans where, no one, where nothing lives. There are food deserts in major cities. 
We're cutting down forests at a faster rate than ever. And there are rivers all over the world that are effectively dead and have dried up. So that's what 6,000 years of accumulated human wisdom has accomplished. Our modern lifestyles are taking its toll. We have the capacity right now as a world, as countries and nations, to destroy this world many times over with nuclear weapons. It's this late in world history, and yet we still have world leaders engaging in power grabs, seizing territory, still looking to expand their domain, still threatening their neighbors with annihilation. There are countries in the world that are committed to the destruction of other sovereign nations. We are seeing this right now with Russia invading Ukraine. Wouldn't you think that people would have figured it out by now how to get along? Murder rates are high. Rates of violent crime are high. You think that suddenly the world's going to wake up one morning and have it, they've learned to sing in perfect harmony and everyone grabs a Coca-Cola and starts singing? I mean, why else, would we, why else would we be putting all of our hopes on a man or a woman to change things? You would think that we would have figured it out by now if it were possible. The Internet's just given us more ways to treat people inhumanely. Human trafficking is at an all-time high. Right now in the world today, there are over 40 million people in the world who are enslaved. That's more than any other time in human history. 70% of them are women. One out of four of them are children. Now listen, politicians at the national level and the state level and the local level all know about this. The police know. You and I know. And yet the problem persists. And we've let the devil play us like a fiddle. So many people have fallen prey to his trap of putting the onus on a man or a woman to save us and to rescue us. So many have blamed certain leaders, men and women, for the problems of today. And those same people who have inserted a man or a woman of their choice who can right the ship and who can fix all things. Don't you see what's happening? We are following the devil's script almost to a T. We are preparing ourselves to follow a man of power in this world. Exactly what the Bible prophesied would happen. It says that a power in the book of Revelation, a power will rise up in the earth's last days. It's in Revelation 13, verse 8. This power will rise up. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It goes on to say this in verse 15. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Verse 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. You know that is 666. So the Bible tells. 
Now, at one time, you might have looked at this and said, how could that ever happen? Come on. You might have wondered how an entire planet could be so affected by one issue that every nation, not just one country, but how could every nation take decisive action on one issue in a way that affects the behavior of the entire world? We don't wonder that anymore. We've watched the entire world become impacted by COVID-19. We've seen people paralyzed by fear and anger and division. We've seen people report their neighbors, report their family members, their co-workers, and even their fellow churchgoers. We've seen people disagree on the best way to handle this. We now know that the entire world can indeed coalesce around a single issue and take drastic action that affects every area of life. Revelation says that it's going to happen again, but on a much bigger scale. You see, Daniel, who was a great prophet in the Old Testament, Daniel wrote many years ago in Daniel 12, verse 1, that there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. Life now is very different than it ever was before. And we can't fix it. We can get to the moon. They're even talking about going to the Mars one day. We can build supercomputers and artificial intelligence that does amazing things, but we can't fix a broken planet. It's getting worse. But it will not be a man or a woman or a movement that fixes it. The only solution is the return of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's coming back to this world. When? Nobody knows when. Exactly. But all indicators suggest that it's going to be soon. Jesus himself said that before his return, before he came back, we would see signs around us suggesting that his return is near. As we explore this prophecy from almost 2,000 years ago, I want you to compare it to things that you see around the world today. Take it in Matthew 24, which is part of Passion Week, when Jesus said these things. Before you go to the cross, he said these things in Matthew 24, verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Don't be troubled. Now, we've had many wars in the past. But the thing that's different now is the rumors of wars. That's really come on the scene of late. We've talked all about the false news and the lying and the deception and no one knows where to trust. That's the rumors of wars. That's why it's a more pressing time now. The rumors of wars. Verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. Do you know that that word pestilence means pandemics? Verses 10 through 12, and then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Church, all of these things are happening now. 
nations rising against nations, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, and now and major, major natural disasters. But it's not just the physical world that is deteriorating. Our society is ripping apart at its seams as well, just as it was prophesied by Jesus himself. Many are offended. If you watch the news, if you look at the Internet, if you just spend time talking to people, people are, don't just disagree anymore. They're offended. Many are betraying one another. Many are pitting our own country, men and women, against one another. False teachers have risen up, perverting the Word of God, created false churches that pursue money and prosperity and fame and the things of the flesh and deceiving many into their following. Lawlessness has abounded with riots and rebellion and looting and crime, and very few are held accountable. In fact, some are even paraded and praised for their lawlessness. Accusations and scandals and division have grown exponentially. People have lost or forfeited their ability that they once had to to debate differences of opinion without assaulting one's character. The love of many indeed has grown cold just like Jesus said it would. Verse 30 and 37. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. As the days of Noah were, were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus said it would be like it was in in Noah's day. And in that day there was great rebellion against God. To the extent that all God could do was to find only eight people to get on the ark. Jesus said people would be oblivious to important spiritual matters. There's never been a time in human history that fits those points better than our day. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 32, Now learn from this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things, know that it is near at the door. So when, when talking about the return of Jesus, we're talking about something that's imminent. It's at the door. So how do we relate to that? We relate to that with hope. There's a better day coming. Whatever the world brings, we're going to get past this and into the world that God wants for us if we keep our eyes on Him and our ears affixed to Him. Luke 21, verse 28. Now when these things begin to happen, look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Redemption can be understood as buying something back to regain possession of it. There's a story in the Bible that really demonstrates this redemption in a beautiful way. It's in the book of Ruth. A famine drives Naomi out of her country and her husband and her sons die. And she decides that now she's going to go back home. And one of her daughter-in-laws, Ruth, whose husband was one of the sons that died, chooses to go with her mother-in-law. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, Ruth says this to Naomi, For wherever you go, I will go. 
and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Beautiful words. Naomi had sold the land that belonged to her husband, but the land could be purchased back by a relative, bought back and redeemed. There was a male relative in her family named Boaz who buys the land and then marries the young widow, Ruth. Ruth has children. Her great-grandson is David, the future king of Israel. Ruth 4.14 says this, Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may His name become famous in Israel. Redeemed. Bought back by a near kinsman. And that's a picture of how God treats us. You see, sin leaves us out of our real homeland, which is not here. Our real homeland is heaven. But Jesus, a close relative, came to this earth and became one of the human family. He redeemed us. He bought us back by His death on the cross. Sin separated us from God. But Jesus' death means that He offers His righteousness to this world in place of our sin. He gives us hope of a life in a better land. Your redemption draws near. Redemption from sin has already taken place for those who have put their faith in Jesus. Liberation from this world is coming. Israel was in Egypt in slavery. God liberated Israel by opening up the Red Sea, marching them across the open floor, and eventually leading them into the promised land. Right now for us, we're stuck in a sinful world. There is death, there is pain, there is sorrow, there is injustice. Now, some of the parts of this life we might have learned to like it here, but this isn't how it was ever supposed to be. There was never meant to be hate in this world that God created. There was never meant to be death or loss. There was never meant to be sickness or sadness or pain or isolation. Never. But just like God redeemed Israel from Egypt, He's going to redeem us from this broken world. Jesus Christ is coming back. Paul wrote in Romans 8.23 that we are eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope. Your redemption draws near. The Bible looks towards the second coming of Jesus and it says this, in Revelations 14.6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, to every tribe and tongue and people. Verse 7, Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and springs of water. There are three angels mentioned in this part of Revelation. The next one warns us about the dangers of Babylon. The next about the importance of not receiving the mark of the beast. Right after, what's referred to as the everlasting gospel, the final gospel message out to the world, we see this in verse 14. Then I looked, 
and behold, a white cloud. And on that cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having his head on, a, on, a golden, on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Verse 15, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he, sat, he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. That's another picture of the return of Jesus. He's coming back to harvest the world. That is, to gather those who are ready for him. He's not looking for those who have put their hope in a man or a woman or a political party or a movement to save them. He is looking for those who have been waiting and seeking him. He's looking for those who have humbled themselves, who have opened up their hearts to him, who have stated their desire to be saved for all eternity. This world isn't getting any better. But there's a better world to come. God has done everything he possibly could to see to it that you are part of his plan for eternity. Remember Jesus' words in John 14, 27? He knew it was coming, but he gave out this sense of hope to his people. John 14, 27, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. He tells us all these things are coming and he leaves that hope. He says, don't be afraid. I got it. Don't step into fear and worry and doubt. I got it. I'm with you. I will be with you in every step of the way. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus offers each of us his peace. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Church, that that day is coming. I don't know when, but I know it's coming. Jesus is coming back for his bride. The bride is the body of Christ. We need to be ready for him. He's going to come, come back. He's going to gather us all together and get us out of here and take us home. A home where we honor him and worship him and we enjoy spending time in his presence. Until then, Keep your eye on Jesus. Your redemption is near. We give you our praise and our glory. We come to you, Lord God. We ask you to make our hearts right before you that we can spend that time giving glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.